Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This week, we sit down with Democratic candidates running for congressional districts one and two who didn't have a chance to debate after incumbent representatives declined to participate. I'm Ruth Brown, filling in for Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello, and welcome to the new season of Idaho Reports. This week, we sit down with Kaylee Peterson, a Democrat challenging incumbent representative Russ Fulcher in the 1st Congressional District, and Wendy Norman, a Democrat challenging Representative Mike Simpson in the 2nd Congressional District. Both Norman and Peterson did not have the chance to debate because the incumbent candidates declined to participate in the Idaho debates. We'll hear more from them later in the show. In coming weeks, keep an eye out for other statewide candidates, both Republican and Independent, who were unable to debate because their opponents declined to participate. Idaho Reports plans to invite them either on the show or onto the Idaho Reports podcast. But first, in this week's podcast episode, associate producer Logan Finney is joined by law professor Stephen Miller from the University of Idaho to discuss a pending case before the U.S. Supreme Court, which will decide how much water is under the jurisdiction of the EPA. You'll find that conversation wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to those congressional candidates. We'll start with Melissa Davlin's conversation earlier this week with Kaylee Peterson. Thanks so much for joining us this week. First of all, why are you running for Congressional District 1? I think for me, when I started school, the plan was to go into public policy and policy reform. But then in this election specifically, I found out we had hundreds of seats that were running unopposed. And for me, the entire point you of- You as the Idaho Democratic Party, right? right. Uh, absolutely. And for a lot of Idaho citizens, that meant there was no choice. And that ultimately means no accountability for people that are already in office. So running in this election meant giving the people of Idaho a voice, a choice, and making current representatives accountable for their actions in Congress. Why Congressional District 1 as opposed to a legislative seat or a College of Western Idaho trustee or one of the many other offices that were on the ballot this November? Absolutely, and that's a fair question. I mean, I can't go in as a freshman candidate without expecting this question. <laughs> but for me, I live in District 14, and District 14 thankfully has some phenomenal female candidates at the state level, but we had no one at the federal level. And specifically, my opponent, Russ Fulcher, I think needed somebody to hold him accountable for his actions over the last couple years. And, and we'll get to the issues that you're running on in a second, but you bring up the, the fact that you are a freshman candidate. You are new to the Idaho political scene. Incumbent Russ Fulcher um, is running for his third term, and he's served in the state Senate uh, for, for several years before that. Why should voters trust you with this office? Oh, absolutely, but I think one of the things we've learned is that experience does not equal qualifi qualifications or integrity. And Russ Falcher has proven that even though he has two decades of experience, he is not ultimately delivering on the promises that he's made to Idaho people. And what I hear is, who is Russ Falcher and where is Russ Falcher? 
So that 20 years has not taught him how to get involved, how to listen, and how to represent while he's in DC. What are the issues that are at the top of your priority list? I think first and foremost, we can't accomplish anything if we don't restore some of the, the trust in government that we should come to expect. I mean, government is supposed to hold all of the potential that we have as a population towards a brighter future, a stronger future. And right now, people feel disconnected. They don't trust the people in office. They don't trust policy. They don't trust the political process. So by restoring integrity and truth and transparency to the office, then we can start to deliver on some of the promises. That means public land and conservation. That means health care, both mental, physical, and veterans benefits. That means uh, tax reform so that we can take some of the burdens off of our middle class, working class, blue collar Idaho citizens. So those are, those are huge priorities for me. Right now, Democrats, of course, control the House and very narrowly the Senate as well as the White House. Um, what would be different if you get elected when it comes to issues that are facing Idahoans and Americans like inflation and rising gas prices? It's difficult because my opponent uses these terms a lot as uh, evidence of failure in this administration. But what we see is inflation and gas prices are a global issue. They're on the rise across the entire globe, not just America. What we need are representatives that are willing to sit down at the table, work across the aisle to try and mitigate some of these issues. For instance, the price gouging bill that tried to prevent gas stations from hiking up prices even if the cost of oil was going down. My opponent voted against that. He's unwilling to sit at the table to find solutions when it comes to a Democrat in office, and that's unacceptable. Oh, you have also mentioned public land management. What is your approach, especially as we're seeing uh, more devastating fire seasons, longer fire seasons, and hotter fire seasons? We have some of the greatest research coming out right now on how to mitigate drought and how to protect our watersheds, how to manage our forests. That comes down to properly funding these programs. U.S. Fish and Game, wildlife, we need to make sure that the federal funding in place is enough to maintain that, that property. And that also means looking at how we reimburse counties for property management. Some counties right now receive a lot more than other counties in the state that have more property. So I think it's looking at where funding is going and trying to find programs that can properly fund the pro uh, forest management we need. Money is one thing, but then what you do with the money is another. And so how would you hope the federal government and these agencies approach that land management to do things like reduce the fuel load? You know, I think right now we look at what Russ Fulcher has done and he's trying to refuse all federal funding. His big approach is trying to return land to state lands and deregulate industries that are already on federal lands. And what we've seen is that that's a complete failure when it comes to conservation and public land management. One, because the state has a responsibility to use that land for a certain profitability factor. And what we see is when Russ Vulture was in the state legislature, we sold off over 100,000 acres of public lands. 
what we really need to do is focus on the programs we already have, and we have some fantastic ones. Pittman-Robertson is an 85-year-old conservation program that Russ Falter recently tried to dismantle that uses money from sportsmen's programs and guns, ammo, and bows, and then puts it back into conservation. So focusing on programs that are already successful, and then how do we maximize that and use federal funding appropriately? In Congressional District 2, uh, Mike Simpson has introduced a concept to breach the Snake River dams to help save the salmon and address some of the other water needs that would be affected with the breaching. This is something that not only Congressman Fulcher opposes, but several other lawmakers, both Democratic and Republican. Where are you on breaching the, the dams? It was one of those issues that I did not expect to probably want be one of the most divisive issues when I decided to run for office. But it is incredibly important to so many different communities for different reasons. What I've seen from the proposal that Mike Simpson put forward, there are several solutions to a lot of the issues that worry communities like Lewiston, worry communities like the small agriculture businesses that rely on them. But once again, we see Russ Falcher's not even willing to sit down at the table. So whereas the first congressional district should have someone representing their interests and making sure that there are solutions to all of these issues facing these real everyday Idahoans, we have Oregon and Washington who right now are at the table making decisions for communities like Lewiston. So whether we're for or against breaching the dams, what's more important is we have somebody who's willing to actually sit down at the table and represent the interests of the people that are worried about the impacts that are coming for them. One of the other issues that you mention on your campaign site is reproductive choice. And Congressional District 1 is a very conservative district, as you know. How do you square your message with what voters of CD1 seemingly want? It's difficult because I think right now we have a very vocal minority. I mean, polling, we see that 70%, minimum 70% of people do not support the extent at which Idaho's trigger law has gone. And we see that women across this district need autonomy, they need choice, and I don't think it's a matter of me against the will of the people. I think it's me representing a silent majority of people that want balance, uh, even if they're not entirely pro-choice and believe in complete lack of restrictions, they certainly don't believe in the extremes that my opponent has gone to that put actual lives at risk. Uh, assuming Idaho's delegation and leadership stays mostly Republican, if you're elected, how do you plan to work with them for Idahoans in CD1? I've said since the beginning, I really, people put so much weight into a single word or a single letter next to a name, Democrat or Republican, when these are individuals that are so much more complex and their policy is so much more uh, intricate than just a single word. And so for me, it's just about relationship. It's about looking at the policy. It's about finding solutions the same way we would try to find solutions on any policy matter. So it doesn't matter if they're a Republican or a Democrat. My goal is to represent every single Idaho citizen, no matter the letter next to their name. All right, Kaylee Peterson, Democratic candidate for Congressional District 1, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, now I'm joined by Wendy Norman, who's running for Congressional District 2. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Wendy, we'll start with uh, the basics. Why are you running for Congress? 
kind of a long story, but a little confusing. Um, I was invited to run uh, several months ago, and at the time I was really concerned about the man who had challenged Mike Simpson in the primary. I have a sister who passed away on Christmas Day three years ago. And before she went, she would, she'd been sick. My mom wanted her to go to the hospital, and she said, I can't afford it. And the man who was running against Mike Simpson was there and has made his, his livelihood off of suing people for medical debt. And I could not stand the idea of him being our legislator. So I jumped in, I said, yep, I will do it. And then as I've, thankfully he did not win the primary, but I have some strong beliefs that Idaho deserves choices. We need choices. A one party state is never a good thing. And um, there are some things that Mike Simpson is doing or not doing that I think needs to change and that we need to make things better for all Idahoans, not just the few. Mike Simpson, uh, the incumbent, is running for his 13th uh, term after serving in the legislature as well. Um, you have no political experience. Why should voters trust you with this office? Because I am just a person. I have not made my life out to be with the people who are in charge. I have lived my life as a mom, as a teacher, as somebody who wants to make the world a better place in smaller ways, you know? And now as I've been just watching what's gone on for the last several years, it's really scary. We have controls coming into play that are damaging the livelihood and opportunities for most Americans. And we need real Americans to step up, and people won't. It's scary, people are, it's, there's cruelty. <laughs> you know, the, the criticisms that you get. I don't blame people for not running for office, but we need it. We need to have choices, and it can't just be always handed over to whoever has the, the um, funding from the corporations and special interests. So that's me. I have a lot of people with small donations, and that's why I'm here, because they believe in me, and so, I will do my best to represent them. You mentioned livelihoods. Um, you're on your campaign website, you uh, talk about inflation as one of your top priorities. Um, what would you do to address inflation if elected? I like a lot of what's been going on already. We're trying to build things, you know, in this country. We're trying to, there's just so many issues. I mean, climate change is such a real issue that's going to cause such long-term damage, and yet we depend so much on oil and gas, and, and we've got to find a way to make it so that we can function without continuing that damage in, um, to our climate. And so I honestly think that Biden's been on the right track for that. OPEC's decision to cut back on um, gas and oil, you know, oil right now is going to hurt. It really is but we have to continue on. The majority of what's causing our inflation right now is still supply chains. My husband's employment situation is the same. There are still materials that they cannot get because of supply chain issues. And so fixing that is essential. Um, bringing in people who can do the work that we need done. We've got so many jobs that are left unfilled. And so we need to, again, make sure that people can come here and 
do the jobs that Americans need done to be able to make sure our, keep, our country can keep functioning. So, uh, Democrats do currently hold the majority. How would the situation be different if you were in office? We hold majority, but we don't hold majority a, a complete majority in the Senate because we have a couple of middle-of-the-road um, senators it, and because of the filibuster, we can't get a lot of things through that, dem that re Democrats have been trying to do. The biggest thing I'm concerned about is if we get a Republican majority in the House of Representatives, all progress is going to be stopped. And that's not a good thing either. I watch and see what, what Mike Simpson has suggested that he wants to do in these things, but he doesn't. He doesn't really have a plan. How is he going to address inflation? He doesn't have a plan. He just says it's Biden's fault, Bidenomics. And same thing with a lot of other issues. What is he doing since he's been there for so long to solve these problems that have been there for a long time? I was really discouraged about, you know, when we had the um, formula, baby formula issues. And rather than jumping in and trying to fix it, Biden's fault, Biden's fault, Biden's fault. It may be, it wasn't. <laughs> you know, that was the whole story behind that. But we need legislators to work together, quit the blame game, and make it a matter of national security, national opportunity, what the people need us to do. And so that's another thing. I'm not going to go down there and say, I'm only talking to the Democrats. We need to get so that we're not just insulated from the other perspectives and make sure that we're getting the views of all Americans represented. I don't like the idea of what's been going on with the hatred. It's, I've had somebody who said to me that they wanted to know where I teach so that they make sure their child couldn't have me as a teacher. And that's not America. That's not what America should be. But I'm going to stop you there. Idaho and nationwide, extremism does continue to see it, to exist in the political atmosphere. What is your role, if elected as a member of Congress, to uh, working with people who may be more extreme than you are? You would be tasked with that. How would you handle that? You know, that was one of the things that I was thinking on as well. Um, when Richard Stallings was there, I was lucky to talk to him when I was making the decision about doing this. And he said that they used to not even, they, you know, right now we have people on the left and people on the right, and they stay in their areas. They're not communicating with each other. And one of the things that I have loved about campaigning is going out, meeting, meeting people, and finding out what their perspectives are. We're not as far apart as we think. We've got to talk to each other. And we've got to make sure that the information we're getting isn't so limited. That's one of the things I'm deeply concerned about is, you know, with the, where we used to have the, um, the fairness doctrine, where journalism was intended to cover both sides of the story. We don't have that now. We have media sources that are proud to say, we are conservative or we are liberal. And that's not good for America to have people on the left and on the right be leaving a completely different reality. That's a problem. I'm gonna uh, focus on policy a little bit. Okay. Um, you have run on a platform um, focusing on affordable health care, among other issues. If elected as a member of Congress, uh, what would you do to better 
um, some of the restraints around affordable health care or even affordable prescription medications. How would you uh, address that? Okay. I remember when the Affordable Care Act went through and once again there were people who were terrified of the idea of death panels and people were honestly told things that weren't true. That's always a problem. And so getting the information out is always important in communicating with people. But the biggest thing about healthcare is we have people making millions and millions of dollars off of healthcare that never do anything to help with healthcare. We have an entire corporation of multimillionaires, CEOs for the insurance companies. And that much money is literally taken out of our healthcare money. 20% of our, our economy almost is healthcare costs. Is that sustainable? Is that sensible? Are people sick 20% of their lives? They're not. So we've gotta find a way to bring that into greater balance of what people really need. And honestly, I do think that I don't want afford, I, I don't want government-owned healthcare. I don't think that that is as safe, but I do think a, a single-payer system is the way to meet the needs of all Americans. I don't think anyone should have to wake up on Christmas morning and find mom, find their mom not alive anymore because she couldn't afford to go to the doctor. That shouldn't happen in America, not in this country. I'm gonna switch course again. <laughs> um, although I do sincerely appreciate you sharing the story of your, um, of your loved one with me. Um, voting rights. You have discussed some of the threats to voting rights. Um, the reality is there are people in CD2 that believe perhaps the 2020 election um, was fraudulent or not fairly recorded. How would you improve voter access and improve voter rights the way you want to while also recognizing and um, addressing some of the concerns of constituents who maybe are apprehensive about the election process? How do you balance the two? It is a big issue, obviously. Um, I believe it was at 60 something percent that believe that it was nationwide that believe that the election was fraudulent, that Biden isn't our actual president. Big concern and you see that in the total disrespect that you see everywhere. We have got to, again, get information out in a way that people can trust. We've always had representatives at the polls from the left and the right. We need to make that more visible for people so people can say, I wanna see this happening. Um, we know very well what the red mirage was in the election where a lot of the Democrats voted early, but the states didn't count until after the day of the election or the day of the election, which led it, made it look like Republicans are winning, Republicans are winning, and all of a sudden, thump, here come in the Democrats, and it felt like to a lot of people that they have to be dumping these votes. So I think having them counted at the same time would be a better choice there as well but they need to see what's going on. And so I think having those representatives, having some video surveillance systems that people can check into whenever they want to, having responsible people say, I am a poll worker, I'm your neighbor, and I saw what happened here and it was fine. 
this is this is the sequence of what happened. We didn't have suitcases under the tables. Those were the boxes that we kept ballots in. And that's, it's challenging when you have people trying to intentionally get a view across that isn't correct. How does Congress handle um, elections or is that something that should be left to the states locally? You tell me. As much as we can, local certainly needs to have the majority control of what's going on. The problem we have is that historically, we know what happened with individual states that did not give all their citizens a right to vote. That they did everything they could to restrict certain groups of people from being able to vote. So I think we do have to have an umbrella policy from the federal government pr protecting um, the rights of all Americans to vote. The Voting Rights Act was supposed to do that. And little by little, it's been chipped away and we'll probably find out this summer if there's anything left because of the changes from what the Supreme Courts have been deciding. But I think we'll, we need to bring it back. We need to get back in there and say, let's fix this again. This really is what we mean. We didn't just mean anybody. We, we really did mean we wanted to, to stop the racism. We wanted to deal with people of poverty and give them the opportunities to vote as much as anyone else. So I am worried about educating voters, getting people so that they're really, truly, actively um, aware of what's going on. I don't like the idea of anyone ever saying, oh, I always vote Republican or I always vote Democrat. Why? How about if we look at these issues and Democrats, Republicans aren't always the same. So sure. what are they really standing for and how do they fit with your true beliefs about what the world should be like, what the nation should be like? You mentioned Democrats and Republicans not being the same. That is a common topic of discussion when it comes to the Snake River dams. Mm -hmm. um, as you likely know, Representative Simpson does have a proposal for um, how to address the dams. What is your um, approach to handling the dams and the salmon population, I suppose? Is yeah. I have liked a lot of the things that Mike Simpson has done in the past. I'm disappointed that he seems to not be a great part of things right now, but I, that is one of the issues that is gonna have to have more buy-in from the people who are impacted by it. But honestly, we gotta save the salmon too. We need to take into account the needs of all constituents in Idaho. So I don't, I don't think he's on the wrong path. I really don't. How do we though make up for the electrical that's lost from that, because that's a, that's a clean energy source that we need for our climate change issues. If you take that out, what are we replacing with? And then irrigation, what are the needs of the farmers? And we've got to get the farmers on, on the page as well. They've got to start seeing if they're a part of the decision making rather than having it inflicted on them. And right now I think they feel like it's inflicted on them. What is your approach though, if elected to Congress, to manage that, to, to take action? Okay. Bringing them in. Bringing them in. Yes, talking to them. It's, I am not one to ever say, this is how it's going to be, this is my way or the highway. It, I, I strongly believe in consensus as much as possible. Congress isn't gonna work that way, you know? I know that, because there's too much partisanship right now. But in our state, every Idahoan who has a, a significant concern about the issue, they deserve to be a part of solving that issue. I know that, um, Governor, we, we've had groups getting together to try to say, how do we solve this problem? And they came up with some solutions that can move us a little towards it. 
but it's not going to do the job. And so I do think that's the route we're going to have to take. Wendy so. Norman, I appreciate your time. <laughs> Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for having me. The next Idaho Debates will air on October 24th, featuring candidates for Superintendent of Public Instruction, and on October 28th, featuring candidates for the Lieutenant Governor. Neither of those races will have an incumbent on the November ballot. If you missed any of our debates, you can watch them online at idahoptv.org debates. For information on how or where to vote in the November 8th election, visit voteidaho.gov. That's all we have time for. We'll see you next week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.